Welcome back, True Siders. I am your host, Angela. This is a true side of crime. I'd like to take a minute to say thank you to all of the listeners. Also, if you'd like to follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook at A True Side of Crime. If you want to, shoot us an email at a true side of crime at gmail.com. Also, on our anchor page, there is a place for you to leave listener messages. Go ahead and do so, and I'd love to play them on the following episode. Welcome to the Halloween episode of A True Side of Crime. Today, we're going to be talking about the real Candyman and the arsenic lady of Long Island. Now, I know today is, well, at least where I am, it's gloomy, rainy. They've actually canceled our trick-or-treating. But as we decorate our kids' faces help them put on their costumes and get ready to go out please remember to check the candy of our kids I know some local places allow you to take candy to hospitals and get it ran through a machine to be x-rayed because in these two stories Halloween candy was the culprit the real candy man Ronald O'Brien, born October 19th of 1944. In the year this happened, 1974, Ronald was 30. He had a wife, two kids, son, Timothy, daughter, Elizabeth, and wife, Deneen. October 31st started as any other Halloween. They got the kids ready for trick-or-treating. Instead of staying home, they decided to drive from their Deer Park, Texas house to a friend, Jim Bates' home in Pasadena, Texas, where they'd have dinner with Jim's wife and son. After dinner, the dads take the kids out trick-or-treating. The wives stay at home. They only go to two streets that day. Quick trick-or-treating trip, let the kids get some candy, and head back home. Well, they come to this big, dark house. They ring the doorbell. Nobody answered. So Jim and the kids continue walking. Ron hangs back. Moments later, he runs up to where they are, and he has five almost two foot long pixie sticks and I used to see those pixie sticks all the time when I was younger I didn't like them as much as the smaller ones but it was just kind of cool to have like a giant pixie stick and they were plastic on the outside instead of the paper like the smaller ones but they still had the same heat seal at the top and They came in different flavors. and Some of the flavors I didn't like, I think that was the problem. But needless to say, the kids were excited. Jim told the kids that they were really lucky because a rich neighbor was giving out really, really good candy. So they end their trick-or-treating. They go back and get Ron's wife. And 
the kids get in the car. They drive back to Deer Park. Before bed, Ron tells the kids that they're allowed to have one more piece of candy. Which, if you have kids, you know that's exciting when you tell them, okay, you get one more tonight before you have to put it up and go to bed. Well, like most kids would do, like I would have done if I was eight, Tim picks the really big pixie stick. If I'm going to pick one last piece of candy, of course it's going to be the biggest one, right? Well, he tastes it and immediately he spits it out. He tells his dad it's bitter. He doesn't like it. So his dad goes and gets him a drink to wash it down. Before he can get the actual drink, though, Tim is heard yelling his dad's name. Dad, dad. He sounds like he's in distress and Ron comes running back in the room, obviously. And when he gets there, Tim is leaned over. He's vomiting. Ron picks him up because he's not doing okay. His mouth starts foaming and he starts convulsing. And in Ron's arms, little Timothy faints. He loses consciousness. So obviously they call emergency dispatch and they really 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 need to get to the hospital a police officer is quoted saying that he got a call that there was a boy on the way to the hospital he had passed out and he wouldn't likely live so little timothy dies on halloween at eight years old so obviously that's not something normal. So the police look into it. They do blood tests. They talk to the family. They ask them what they did that day. And they tell them what they did. I've, you know, kids go to school, they get out of school, they get ready, they go to dinner at the Bates home and they go trick or treating. And Tim had this pixie stick. Well, they tested Tim's pixie stick. And they said that it was had a layer of cyanide on it. Little Tim died from cyanide poisoning. The blood test confirmed that Tim had enough cyanide in his system to kill two adults. Two adults. So, obviously, they want to know where they got this candy from. And Ron seems not to be able to remember. He tells them he doesn't remember what street they were on. He doesn't remember what the house looked like. He can't tell them. He doesn't remember. He never saw the person. He can't tell them anything. Well, obviously, they've talked to Jim Bates at this point. And Jim has told them that they only trick-or-treated on two streets that night. After they find this out, they press him harder. Ron, we know you only went to two streets. What house was it? And after continuously telling them he doesn't know, he's not sure, he doesn't remember, he finally identifies the home of the Melvins family. Now, the Melvins were a family of three, mom, daughter, dad. The dad, Courtney Melvins, was at work that night until 1030. Now, what you have to understand about Ron's testimony to the police was he told them that there was 
a hairy arm that handed him the candy. And that was all he could see. He couldn't see anything else with this person. So if it was a hairy arm, naturally you believe it was a man. So not the wife, not the daughter. Well, that dark house was dark because they had ran out of candy at 645, which was before that O'Brien's and the Bates even went trick-or-treating. So, the story Ron was giving was even more unusual. So they start digging. They dig and they dig and they look at what happened that day. One thing is, it was raining, so Ron had on a raincoat. And the police start to believe that maybe he put those pixie sticks in the sleeve of his raincoat and nobody saw him, which is why he hung back and ran up with them later. They also find out that Ron has been asking some very unusual questions. He's asked his professor at his community college if cyanide or another poison is more deadly. That's a very unusual question to ask, period, let alone right before your son is killed by cyanide poisoning. He also asked a family friend about how much cyanide it would take to kill a person. He knew that this person had a job that worked with cyanide, so he asked him how much it would take to kill someone. That's an unusual question. I've never asked somebody how much poison it takes to kill somebody, and I'm a true crime lover. So, that will raise huge red flags for me. Also, there was a clerk at a chemical company that said a man came in before Halloween and asked to buy cyanide. Now, this clerk could not identify Ron, but he did say that this person that asked and left after they found out that you have to buy cyanide in bulk, wore blue or beige smocks. And that's exactly what Ron wore at his job as an obstetrician. Things keep getting stranger for Ron. They also find out that Ron and his wife are in an enormous amount of debt. About $100,000 worth. They're eight months behind on their car note. And obviously the bank is threatening to repossess. And Ron's not a very stable person when it comes to jobs. He's had 21 jobs in the last decade. So between the age of 20 and 30, he's had 21 jobs. Which isn't the best way to have a family. Which probably explains why they're in debt. That's two jobs a year, which is crazy to me because I hate changing jobs. I couldn't imagine having at least two jobs a year. Ron also isn't in good standing at the job that he's at now. Um, he's not doing well. To top things off, Ron earlier this year took out a $10,000 life insurance policy on both of his kids. 
something his wife said was a useless expense because the kids were healthy and they were in debt, so they really couldn't afford it. It's not something that they needed. What she didn't know is that Ron took out another life insurance policy out on the kids, this time for $20,000. He took this out on October 3rd, three weeks before his son died. Tim is arrested and charged in the murder of his son. And in May of 75, Tim is put on trial. Even his wife testifies against him. She's very adamant that she had nothing to do with this and she didn't know anything about it. There's no evidence that states that she does or proves she does. I don't believe she had anything to do with it. And I don't think she knew about it. This is something that Tim decided would be what they needed to do to get out of debt. The question for me is how far would he have taken it? Would have just been one child? Two? His wife? Well, the trial goes on and not for very long. Because on June 3rd of 75... Ron is filed guilty of capital murder. It only took the jury 46 minutes to find him guilty. And they sentenced him to death. And nine years later, on March 31st of 1984, Ron is executed by lethal injection. Earlier that day, Ron has his last meal of steak, fries, peas, and Boston cream pie. Which would not have been my choice, but to each his own. He was declared dead at 12.48 a.m. And hundreds of people were outside when he was executed. Donning Halloween masks. Saying trick or treat. Which I know he was sentenced to death. It seems highly inappropriate. And weird. This is the story of Ron O'Brien, the real candy man, the man who ended Halloween. The next Halloween story is about the arsenic lady of Long Island, Helen Phil. 64, Helen was a stay at home mom of two, handing out candy. Like a lot of other moms do. There were teenagers who came to her door. Little kids. One specific teenager. Named Elise. Her sister Irene. And a friend of theirs from school. Decided to walk up Salem Ridge Road. In Green Line. In the Green Line area of Long Island. Is it just me or is it weird. That this story takes place on a road. Called Salem. Just saying. They were dressed up as hobos. Elise says now. And. They were just having fun. It was. One of the last Halloween. She would go trick or treating. She was a teenager. So they get to the house. Helen talks to them. They have a regular interaction. Like you do at every home. When you trick or treat. Helen kind of jokes with them. Aren't you too old to be trick-or-treating? 
which a lot of people do. And please, if teenagers come to your door to trick-or-treat, please give them candy. There's a lot worse things they could be doing than trick-or-treating. They could be getting in a lot of trouble. Well, Helen drops a napkin full of candy in each one of the girls' bags. The girls continue their trick-or-treating and head home where their mom, like many of us do, check the candy of her kids. But there was something unusual about the candy in the wrapper and the napkin that Helen gave them. This candy wasn't candy at all. There were pellets that said poison. There were dog biscuits. Nothing that was made for human consumption. And it was obvious that this was not candy. That they were dog biscuits and poison. They were shaped like the like bottle caps, yes. But they clearly said poison on them. So anybody who could read or any parent would know that this wasn't a candy their child could ingest. My worry is though, what if it was a little kid? What if my four-year-old got that and he snuck a piece of candy before he could be stopped? Or if he got in his sister's bag before I got to it? You know, little kids like to sneak. Obviously, they call the police. The police, volunteers, church leaders, they go around and look through all the bags of the kids that trick-or-treat in that area. In total, they find 19 pellets. Obviously, Elise tells them where they got the candy from. It was only candy she got that was in a napkin. They go to Helen's home and they arrest her. Her husband insists that it was just a joke. A joke played on teenagers to teach them not to trick or treat. That doesn't sound like a joke to me. It sounds like hatred. The crazy thing is for her not to want kids to trick or treat. She allowed her own 15 and 16 year old sons to go trick or treating. Which is completely unusual to me if you don't think teenagers should trick or treat. But she's evaluated at a mental facility and she's only charged with child endangerment. Her trial starts and in the middle of her trial she gets a plea deal. She pleads guilty. And she gets two years suspended sentence. That's all for potentially harming a child. That's crazy to me. I don't understand how you could clearly give poison to children and then get two years of a suspended sentence. But Helen's released and she gets to move on with her life like nothing happened. While Elise, she could never celebrate Halloween again. She's quoted as saying she never put on another Halloween costume in her life. So guys, check your kids' candy. Be careful who you allow around your children, even if it's a parent. Please allow teenagers to trick or treat. 
It helps keep them out of trouble. Enjoy Halloween. Enjoy the ghoulish night. Enjoy the running and laughing of the children. Watching the lights from the jack-o'-lanterns and the spiders on people's houses. Thank you for enjoying and listening to the Halloween episode of A True Side of Crime. That's it for A True Side of Crime today. Once again, thank you for listening. I really appreciate you. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and leave us a voice message on our Anchor page. Until next time, stay safe, True Siders.